just didn't feel right. It just wasn't the kind of a thing where you'd ask four or five and six fifty, you know, <laughs> or whatever it was. From that point of view, I was disappointed that it was mishandled. And welcome back to the Ceylon Podcast. This is Wyatt in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm happy to have you here with me, as always. And even though it's been a crazy few weeks, I am still here. I'm still doing it. We're getting it done each month here at Ceylon Headquarters. Putting together a fun show for you guys. Excited about today. we got three different guests. Lots to discuss. But first, of course... Let's celebrate the news. So finally we get the announcement this past week that the newest archival release will be coming out November 18th. Sail on Sailor 1972 features Carl and the Passion, So Tough as well as Holland and the Fairway EP. A lot of unreleased stuff. A New York City Carnegie Hall show from Thanksgiving 1972. Um, It's available in a five LP box set, which I have already pre-ordered. Lots of outtakes, alternative mixes, acapella versions, 105 tracks, 80 never released before and a 48-page booklet, notes by Howie Edelson, and producer notes from Mark Lynette and Alan Boyd. Very exciting, we knew it was coming. I'm very happy that it's on vinyl. Here to tell us what's going on with this box set, what's inside of it is our very own John Brody. Hey man, how's it going? Going good, how are you? I'm pretty good, I'm excited about this box set. I'm. I figured you could uh, enlighten us a little bit. Tell us what's what's on here and what's new and and what you're excited about. Sure thing, man. Uh, you checked out the track list, right? Yeah, I did. What uh, what in there catches your eye? Because there's a lot of. It looks like the majority of the unreleased stuff is focused on the uh, Carnegie Hall show. Right. But then there's <clears> lots <throat> of other stuff in there. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff on here that I feel like we've talked about before in some form or another and maybe have heard um on some 
on something of, of uh, either demos or or whatnot but um there's a couple things i mean there's a few tracks that i don't recognize right off the bat i don't know like spark in the dark um, yeah so there's a few of those um spark in the dark and rooftop harry yeah. are songs that brian wrote for carl and the passions and um they're just they're just tracks they're not finished but mm. uh we've read there's been descriptions of them you know over the years in different articles spark in the dark is brian playing everything it's got like bass marimba and organ and tack piano and mm -hmm. uh is apparently an early version of Chain Reaction of Love, if you know that song that he did in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, wow. it's basically that, but from the early 70s and with Brian playing everything. And then Rooftop cool. Harry, uh, the engineer has given an account of what the session was like, and it's it's got like a toy piano on it <laughs> and a Calliope and four different bass parts and is apparently just a really crazy sounding track. Wow. So, yeah, those would be cool to have. That's cool. Um, and then the um, two versions of Out in the Country. I feel like we've heard those before, but maybe these will be in better quality. So that's a song Brian wrote with a guy named Don Goldberg. And yeah. the first one is something they recorded for Carl and the Passions. And that's got Don Goldberg singing the lead. So it's not a Beach Boy singing that one. Mm -hmm. I think that's what the version one is, and then the, mm. then there's the organ one with Al singing that's on, a right. lot of bootlegs, and we've heard that one before. But yeah, it'll it'll be in good quality this time. Yeah, what else on here um, caught your eye, or maybe was uh, something that you're looking forward to hearing? Yeah, what I'm looking forward to the most is the Sail on Sailor uh, songwriting session, because this is actually mm -hmm. Brian and Van Dyke Parks in. 1971 and uh, so it's something that's um, been described as far back as you know the Stephen Gaines book from the 80s yeah um, and it's apparently like Brian playing it on piano with a completely different set of lyrics I think the only similar lyric is sail on sailor and the rest is just a completely different song and it's doesn't have a bridge section yet but just to hear Brian sing that in the 70s is going to be so cool yeah man that's awesome um i love the the mount vernon ep so i'm looking forward to hearing <laughs> that again of course and having a new copy um and then um there's a couple alternate things from that i guess like um uh, better get back in bed which is called pa let her let her go out alternate version and then i'm the pied piper alternate take pretty cool as well excited for that yeah there's a few different uh lyrics he didn't use i guess for because he didn't really finish that he just kind of let carl and right. jack riley finish it off and there were some pieces that didn't get used so i'm looking forward to hearing those and yeah every time i see holland in the store it's never got the the ep in it so that's that's always annoying yeah yeah so, <laughs> you know to get the the lp it'll be nice to have that right a good copy of yeah it. i think i think i got mine separately a while back mm. my the ep i don't know i found it somewhere and it was pretty it was in pretty decent condition i think i got it for like eight bucks or something um 
and I love that. I wonder if that's just because people got Holland back in the day and they heard that thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, what is this? And threw it out or something. Yeah, I, might, I remember my dad telling me about getting that and being like, what is this in here? How did this, <laughs> what, you know, because it's just such a weird looking little cover. Yeah. It's like, at first, it's like, doesn't even seem like it's the Beach Boys. It's like, who's talking? Who is this narrator <laughs> on this? It's so funny. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, all this is that acapella alternate verse. That sounds awesome to me as well. There's a lot of cool stuff on here. Um, and I'm excited to hear, you know, the new masters and how that worked out. Um, you know, there were a lot of differing opinions on the Sunflower remaster. So we'll see what happens here. I'm optimistic. I guess I'll just say one more thing I'm really excited to hear is the is the give me some lovin slash I need your love medley, which is yeah. another thing Brian did around the time for Carl and the Passions. Uh, kind of sound sounds like with all these outtakes that could have just been a, another album that Brian totally produced. Um, but that is something he did with David Sandler and it's apparently got like harmonica and droning organ and it's a medley of the song Give Me Some Lovin', you know, the Spencer Davis song. Yeah, yeah. And um, I guess kind of something that Brian wrote that sounds like Walk in the Line. That's what I heard okay. about it. I've, I haven't heard any of this stuff, but I'm... Yeah. That and the Ceylon Sailor demo are top of my list. That's going to be the first things I play when this thing comes out. So my only other question is, are we going to get any sort of American Spring reissue is there I like, hope who so. has the rights to that how does that because it was on united yeah so i don't know how that works or if there's anything in the vaults from that era sessions i know that was 72 as well or i guess late yeah. 71 and 72 yeah so the rights to that and the actual physical tapes are both owned by marilyn hmm. and i think that she is open to it but okay problem is i don't know if the money is there to right to, um you know even start a release like that but it sounds like some people want to do it some people who have the, the ability to make this thing happen want it to happen so um you know maybe they could get a fundraiser going because i feel like beach boys fans would, would put in for that yeah I, I know that would be something that i would be into i don't know how many people would would flock to that if they did a release yeah. but if they did a vinyl release of, of spring it's just it would be awesome because it's another record that's kind of hard to find i want to see that too because getting a used copy online is impossible oh yeah it's just... I, it's one of those records that i don't have every time i find it it's in really rough condition and it's still you know kind of expensive i've just kind yeah. of been holding out that they would re-release it but I've, I've never seen it in a store and buying a copy is just if you look on Discogs, there's just so much money. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to hear, you know, extras like hearing Brian um, directing some of the sessions or stacking all the instruments on yeah. Tennessee Waltz, you know? Yeah. And hear the backing tracks. Anyway, there's a lot here to be excited about. Um, you guys can obviously check out the different versions. There's like five different editions you can get. Um, and uh, on CD and vinyl and obviously on streaming and you can hear one of the live tracks now you need a mess of help to stand alone yep one of my favorite eras of the live Beach Boys band they sound great and um, 
Yeah, we're all looking forward to it. Hopefully we'll be able to do another little roundtable discussion when that comes out. Talk about what's on there, um, what we like and what we don't like and all that stuff. But I just wanted to have a little piece for you guys because usually, like John was saying before, like whenever there's news, it comes out like right after we record. (laughs) So it's kind of nice of them to put out some news this week and, and before I was able to put out a podcast. So. There you go. They stole our name, though. Ceylon. Yeah, I know, which I'm not too worried about. <laughs> I think it's a good thing. So, hey, you know, whatever. Um, let's keep the vinyl rolling so that they uh, keep pressing vinyl for us. It's exciting. Um, hopefully, I don't know what on earth they can do next year. There's not a whole lot <laughs> for yeah, they 1973. Yeah, really anything that year, so. Yeah, I, that's a really strange... <laughs> Time. There's you, like a couple dentist things and like yeah they they did a whole bunch of live recordings though so if, the, if there's right, interest right, in right. like a big you know big live concert release and uh we'll be talking with you and will soon about 2020 awesome um but yeah thanks for coming on today man and uh i will talk to you soon all right sounds good We left off in our journey last time with the Beach Boys recording their Friends LP in the April of 1968, an album that Beach Boys fans have grown to love immensely, but it was not received well by the public at the time, and likewise the band's live audiences were growing disinterested and they struggled to fill venues across the U.S. Here's Beach Boys financial manager Nick Grillo. At that time, uh, we decided to promote our entire Southern tour. It was uh, in the spring, and uh, we uh, preparing ourselves to play, uh, I believe, 24 concerts in 22 cities. And uh, the Beach Boys, of course, uh, headlining the show, and uh, the other acts consisted of Buffalo Springfield, Soul Survivors, Strawberry Alarm Clock. The first date of that tour was in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, When the boys arrived in Nashville, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King was pronounced dead in Memphis, Tennessee, almost at the the time that the boys uh, deplaned. And uh, about a month before, we were contemplating putting together a tour with Maharishi for the month of May which would sort of uh, follow uh, the, uh, the April tour, and we thought that both tours would be uh, very successful financially. So we were simultaneously working on both tours. When the April tour became a disaster, a total disaster, because a lot of the dates couldn't be uh, played because of martial law, a lot of the cities were being burned, uh, it was a financial disaster. And uh, we then tried to regroup and start to uh, buttress up the May tour with the Maharishi. 
that May tour was quite a fiasco. Uh, at the time, uh, Maharishi was in Europe, and I believe uh, he was contemplating on doing some sort of a film for four-star television, or possibly four-star films, and uh, he had already committed through his U.S. representative to do the tour with the boys. And uh, again, we had, uh, I forgot how many cities uh, mapped out, major halls, and the boys would uh, be on the show, and then uh, the second half would consist of Maharishi uh, uh, lecturing and having a, uh, a question-and-answer forum. The tour was delayed by about two days because he then had signed some sort of an agreement to continue on with the filming with Four Star, and it got to the point where uh, we had to almost threaten litigation in order to have him acknowledge his responsibility to us, which he committed to sometime in the early part of 1968. I feel that uh, a lot of people felt that the boys were trying to capitalize on something that uh, the Beatles made uh, popular, which was not the case at all. I think that uh, they were very uh, serious about uh, transcendental meditation. Uh, but at that time, I think uh, Maharishi was receiving a great deal of criticism in uh, the U.S. press. So the tour really did not develop as well as we had anticipated. The entire problem came to a head uh, back east. We were playing uh, at a university. I think it was in New York State somewhere. It was on a Sunday. And the four-star people were at the concert and we were trying to negotiate a way of uh, having Maharishi continue on with our tour and at the same time fulfill his uh, commitment to Four Star. And we decided that uh, rather than embark on uh, the, the balance of the tour and lose money and creating a great deal of uh, ill will with Maharishi and the Four Star people, that we decided to abandon the balance of the tour and uh, we had to handle this very delicately and I think it was a press conference was held and uh, we told the press that Maharishi became ill because of uh, his trek through Europe prior to coming to this country with the filming with Four Star. He became very ill and when he did arrive in this country he was in fact very ill and wasn't getting any better and so uh, that he was convalescing somewhere in Santa Barbara. Uh, but in fact uh, he left the country. And here's Mike Love from his autobiography. I invited Maharishi to join us on a 17-day tour in America, specifically to appear on college campuses in more intimate settings where I thought his message would resonate. His associate, Jerry Jarvis, had been traveling the college circuit for several years, and it seemed that young people were a natural audience for an Eastern guru who was advocating a new way of thinking about the world. The Beach Boys would play a set, and Maharishi, before or after, would take the stage and share his philosophy. The group would not make any money on the tour, but would use the proceeds to cover expenses while donating the rest to Maharishi. It didn't work. The Beatles' repudiation of Maharishi suddenly cast him in a negative light. For the tour itself, we were unable to book college campuses and ended up in large auditoriums such as the Washington Coliseum and the Baltimore Civic Center raising our costs and leaving many seats empty. 
technical problems intervened. Maharishi had a soft voice, but he refused to allow anyone to put a microphone on him. He didn't like to be touched. We found special boom mics that had good reach, but Maharishi was still hard to hear. Finally, most of the people who did attend came to see the Beach Boys. We continued on for a couple more days to New Rochelle and to Philadelphia, but the crowds were no better in size or temperament. Some audience members taunted Maharishi, which ticked me off, but he never lost his cool. At one press conference, he faced a particularly obnoxious reporter, and we were getting ready to throw him out, but Maharishi instructed someone to tell the journalist that he would like to speak with him after the conference, and Maharishi would try to gently enlighten him. We called off the tour less than a week into it. Like our canceled Southern tour, this one was costly financially, and I take responsibility for an idea that didn't work. But I don't regret it. I thought I could do some good for people who are lost, confused, or troubled, particularly those who are young and idealistic, but also vulnerable. And I thought that was true for a whole bunch of us. Al Jardine said later, the tour completely fell on its ass. Talk about weird. That was the greatest mismatch of all time. There was no relevance to it. Our careers had distinct paths, neither of which belonged on the same stage together. The group was soon back in the studio to work on the next record, 2020, featuring the new single, Do It Again, which was a really nice throwback from Mike and Brian to their early career. The surfing, the fun, the sand, the girls. But we'll talk more about that next time. For now, I wanted to get into an interesting release called Stack O Tracks that came out in the summer of 1968. And it's an odd one. I knew just the person to lead us through this record. It's our very own Freddie French Pounce. On the 11th of January 1968, Brian Wilson gave an interview with Jamaica Highwater on the state of the group shortly after the release of Wild Honey, but before Friends was even a going consideration. About halfway through the existing audio of this interview, there's a curious little glimpse of a possible upcoming project for the group, as well as a slightly tantalising tease from Highwater regarding the state of the Beach Boys' vault. You have a you 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 have a lot of material, um, rejected material or material that is sort of shelved going, you know, yeah. since we sort of went into music here that you haven't released and which I understand like now you're talking about your next album is going to be backing tracks, right? Which you yeah. decided that uh, because you liked them and for various reasons you thought you'd do an album of them. Mm -hmm. Did you say track album? Track album. Background track? Right, isn't it? It's going to be called Stack of Tracks. Oh, that's wild. Yeah. That's beautiful. And uh, we took a picture of a big stack of tapes that went all the way to a ceiling. At the very top, you know, the thing would have fallen over if we not a st stuck in a four track at the very top. Right, you know, the Just to it, keep yeah. the thing from falling, took a picture of it with us standing around the stack. So I think it's going to be out of sight. I don't know if it'll sell very much, but it'll be a, a real nice, solid catalog member. Well, not only yeah. that, but I mean, like I, uh, Mike was saying, uh, Mike Love was saying that uh, it may have not have been your original idea, but it occurred to me that this kind of thing... Look, I mean, you're having an audience full of kids that are playing yeah. now, you know what I mean? Yeah. That are really into the music now. They're not really there to scream and yell, but they really, like in San Francisco, they sit and listen by the hundreds. Yeah, you know? it's a real nice, it's a nice 
just pure music, you know, right. no, no words, nothing. It's just the first time we've ever put out pure music. A non-vocal thing, non right? Non-vocal. Yeah, which is music. really wild for the Beach Boys. Yeah. As Brian so lovingly pointed out there in the interview, today we're going to be discussing stacker tracks and digging into what makes this album unique, as well as a few tantalising tidbits about its makeup and its history. Thanks, of course, to John and Will. But before that, we've got to get a little bit of gentle context. As clearly noted in the interview, work began shortly after Wild Honey's recording or release and was of course revisited closer to its eventual release in August of that year as not only had Friends come out but we also have Do It Again on the track listing which was released on July 8th as a single. Ultimately, it was the first Beach Boys LP not to chart at all and was only released in the US and Canada at the time on of course August 19th, 1968. The only other country that would see released would be the UK, but that's not until 1976, and we'll take a little look at that LP just before the end of the episode. Of course, the album itself is somewhat of a stopgap between Friends and 2020. It seems by something noted later in the interview that the album was not Brian's idea, despite how enthusiastic he seems about it, and was likely one made by the label, though at this point it's hard to see exactly what their motivation was, it does have to be said. A fun little fact though is that this is not Do It Again's first LP release. It actually opens up side 2 of the Friends LP in Japan and was also included on volume 3 of the Best of the Beach Boys LPs over in the UK, though as I said, Stacker Tracks was not released there until 7 years later. Of course, we can't talk about this LP without talking about the packaging, and it's one of my favourite Beach Boys LPs for design alone. The album cover, again described beautifully by Brian earlier on, is one of my favourites from the group, and maybe my favourite out of them all. The group, gathered around a large stack of tapes in the middle, was such a tantalising glimpse into the Beach Boys archives at this time, and all the group looked great in my opinion. There's just something very cool about the way they look in this period. Maybe not in a cool, cool sense, I suppose, but there's just something about the way they look that is perfectly in line between becoming the hip act they would try and become and the cool LA kids that they would have been prior to this. It's that perfect in-between line, and I think it comes together really well. Interesting, in the current notes that you sing the words and play with the original instrumental backgrounds to 15 of their biggest hits, which, of course, was noted in the interview again. It also includes, though, a booklet with printed lyrics, chord symbols, and lead and bass line, and this is one of the things that makes the LP so collectible. If you find a copy with that booklet, it's definitely worth your time, and it's a really cool little thing, actually, that it even came with this. It could very easily have come with far less, but I guess it was just a way to try and make the LP something to sell in more of the musical education field rather than the pop field and ultimately as the LP didn't chart it wasn't really a success in that regard but maybe they didn't expect it to and maybe thought just shifting a few units was enough. 
Of course, we get the line at the end and many photos of the Beach Boys. And if we open up the lovely gatefold of the LP, not only do we get the fingering guide to the chords used in these 15 Beach Boys arrangements, but we get seven shots of the group one for each member and a little group shot that doesn't include Bruce from the Beach Wild Honey era shoot and I'm sure you know the one I mean. It's a little bit of a random collection of photos but ultimately it's a nice little thing to have here and the picture of Bruce at the bottom seems rather random and out of place but of course given he's on the front cover as well it only makes sense that he's included there. But enough of that general look at the album in time, we're going to take a little walk through the chronology of its creation, as here's where things get really interesting. So, on January the 9th, 1968, two days before the interview we heard at the beginning, the Half Inch Masters were pulled from a bunch of different places and put on a comp reel. At this point, it consisted of You Still Believe In Me, which obviously did not make the album, Salt Lake City, In The Back Of My Mind, Again, which did not make the album, Let Him Run Wild, Sloop John B, I'm Waiting For The Day, again, didn't make the album, Wouldn't It Be Nice, You're So Good To Me, My Only Sunshine, Wonderful, The Smile Rendition, and Good To My Baby. Of course, those last three did not make the LP, but they're a fascinating glimpse into what could have been. The reasoning behind these choices are unclear. It's very possible they wanted to give a little special treat for fans in the album, or maybe a tease of what could be to come. However, sometime in 1968, assuming July maybe, a mono quarter inch reel was recorded onto, and along with a bunch of tracks that are pulled to the final album, these outtakes are on it. In the back of my mind, I'm waiting for the day, my only sunshine, wonderful and good to my baby. There's also a separate reel which has When I Grow Up and Kiss Me Baby and indicates that Wild Honey and Darling were on there too and it's likely a second reel once the first one was used up so of course there's a couple more outtakes there as well. All of these are backing track mixes except for My Only Sunshine which is a full mono mix with vocals and all with both sections edited together. Whatever else was on the first reel of course was removed to the final reel to make the album. Now what's really interesting is that this monomix of My Own Sunshine is the one we have today on the Smile Sessions, meaning that if you take out the little transition from Barnyard at the beginning, you have exactly what was compiled for this LP. At some point after this, the multi-track reel is spliced at the top of My Only Sunshine and all the take from then is thrown away and shredded. Carl Wilson tells this story in a later interview on a day he was working on the tape of Master Painter. Somebody put the tape out with the garbage, by mistake. It got shredded into a thousand pieces. I had to go out, find it and put it back together again. It's okay now, but we've made safety copies of everything, just in case. Those old things were done on four track tape and they're very fragile. And this is of course why we no longer have a stereo mix of the track and never will. It's a bit of a strange one because we obviously don't have the master for the track anymore. But Carl says he made a copy of it, but that copy does not exist. 
piecing together a shredded multi-track seems pretty unlikely it has to be said, but sadly we can no longer pick Carl's brain regarding this. As for the mix down itself, it seems pretty safe to assume that it was Locker that initially spliced things together from the Beach Boys tape library in January, and then Stephen Desper finished mixing down the album in July at Wally Hyder, as is indicated on the tape box. What of the mixes on the album itself? Of course the album was released in duophonic stereo only. The cover unfortunately for the listener denotes it as stereo but it does have a duophonic catalogue number of DKAO2893. Now thus this means it was mixed down exclusively into mono. Not because all the tracks could only be mixed into mono but likely because some only could be mixed into mono due to the backing track being recorded to a single track in the first place. The original mixes all use pre-bounced tapes to remix to mono where applicable, rather than the mono backing tracks found on the final half-inch masters. As far as the remixes on CD go, all stereo remixes would also have used pre-bounced tapes where applicable. Thus, for something like Sloop John B on the CD, Mark mixed from the second generation, here to keep in the 12 string that was added much later in December, so the majority of the track is in mono, whereas the 1996 is synced from a few different tapes digitally to keep it in full stereo. This interestingly means that the remix done on the 1990 CD release and the 2001 CD release is the only stereo version of the track that has all three 12 strings applied. Of course, the original mono mix and the version on the original Stacker Tracks LP have these still baked into the mix. On top of this, some acute listening to the tracks reveals that all the mono tracks on the CD use the original 1968 mix down rather than the original 3, 4 and 8 track multi tracks as the fades generally match along with the other discrepancies. As of course these are mixed at Wally Hyder, we get smooth fades on all the tracks, and the tracks that originally mixed at Columbia would have of course featured the step fades that adorned a number of tracks. For instance, here's the end of Let Him Run Wild, first from the original 1965 LP of Summer Days and Summer Nights, followed by the mix on the original Stacker Tracks LP from 1968. And again from Stacker Tracks. These aren't the only oddities that can be found on the album. There's a few that include vocal bleed due to a side effect of the analog mixing process where it's quite difficult to completely mute any tracks in the mix. And the very start of Catch a Wave with the building drum hits is missing, likely due to a long pause occurring if it were included. Of course, you can hear both these differences with Catch a Wave. So let's hear the start of the track and you can pick out the vocals once it kicks in. 
One of my favourite little odysseys though comes at the end of Little Saint Nick, where after having a gentle bleed of the vocals for the majority of the track, right at the end of the fade suddenly all the vocals are there and it's a fun little thing to end side one with and certainly is maybe why it was stuck there along with the fact of course it's a Christmas track. Ultimately, Stacker Tracks is a very curious entry into the Beach Boys catalogue. I think it's a fantastic listen if you've never dug into the backing track recordings for the group before, and I think it's a wonderful selection of tracks coming across the full spectrum of their career up to this point. Certainly some of the early ones aren't so interesting to hear, but at the same time, maybe they are. They show a group that is so stripped back in its arrangement, yet so complex at the same time, and it's very curious to hear it without the vocals adorning it. Some of these are real highlights though. Here today is utterly magical, and it does have to be said that the stereo remix is done for this album, and the ones that can be heard on any version of the album you'll find today digitally are some of Mark's best, with some fantastic separation, gentle and tasteful use of echo, and just general, gentle 60s style panning, which is really nice to hear. Of course, the original LP comes with the wonderful disclaimer at the back of the cover. The original monophonic recordings have been electronically enhanced by a brilliant two-channel effect for today's stereo phonographs. And unfortunately, this leads us to the wonky sound of the LP, with a very woofy bass sound on the left-hand side, and just a slightly thinner one on the right-hand side. It's not so extreme that things feel completely out of whack. There's no channel delay or additional echo here, but it's a real shame that we've never had a true mono release of the entire album. And certainly if you fold it down as it exists, you get a bit of an overload from the low end, which doesn't even feel like a decent separation when you listen to it through headphones or on speakers. Of course, this also applies to the UK 1976 issue, which while having a very bizarre alternate cover, uses the same master as the original 1968 LP and I think this would have been a great opportunity to issue it with the correct mono master but alas this did not happen. I think the line notes on it though are certainly worth the price of entry. So what is Stacker Tracks? The Beach Boys without the vocals. You mean it's the original backing tracks to their songs? Just that we unearthed them from the archives. So it's simply a sing-along to the Beach Boys album? Well, we have printed the lyrics on the inner sleeve, but it's more than that. It certainly seems like a collector's dream, but why release it now? For a stack of reasons. Copies of the deleted American release are selling for ridiculous amounts. We keep getting mailbags of letters demanding its release. But more than that, it is one of the most fascinating instrumental albums ever issued. Okay, it's fascinating, it's curious, and it's a must for parties and discos, but how does it rate musically? Have you ever heard Sloop John B without the vocals? 
think that at the end summarizes it pretty perfectly. And ultimately, despite its duophonic flaws, this album is essential listening for any Beach Boys fan and still sounds great if you just crank it up. That said though, I think the perfect way to close out this episode would be to read the closing thoughts from Brian's line notes from the original 1990 to for reissue of the album with Party. Making a track calls for good concentration and a heart full of musical feelings to stay up on your toes and always have the overall sound and feeling in mind. Even though these tracks are presented without my vocal arrangements and harmonies, they are my music. I am proud to share with you my music because I believe music is God's voice. Brian Wilson, 1990. You can hear a lot more from Freddie over on our Patreon page. He does a segment called Surf Wax, which is fantastic. There's a new episode posting very soon. Thanks to all our patrons who keep the show running. Some new patrons I want to give a shout out to. Jason Moran, Stephen Ward, Daniel Pacora, Melissa Eloa, Ray Nichols, David Mayan, Andrew M., James Stevens, Angela Moran, Josh Baker, Randy W., and Joel N. Thank you guys very much. We love you! Also, another shout-out to uh, Giggins, who I got to meet in person at our show in Virginia last month. That was awesome. So good seeing you, man. What a great guy. Keep doing what you're doing. Look forward to hanging again in the future. Also... Big shout out to some people we met at the shows, Steve and Samuel in Bluffton, Brendan, and our good friends Tim and Amy. Thank you all for coming to see Sail On, the Beach Boys tribute. If you're interested in any of that stuff, there's links in the show notes, all that good stuff. Anyway, we do have a guest today. He's a composer and musician and artist and songwriter from London whose new album, American Daydream, is an homage to Brian Wilson and the story and the music of the Beach Boys. Please welcome to the show, Jeremy Wormsley. How you doing, buddy? Hey, Wyatt. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for reaching out to me. And uh, yeah. it's, been a, it's been a long time coming. I'm excited to finally get you on the show. Congrats on the album release. Thanks very much. I'm a long time listener to the show. I really love the show. Uh, you were just saying off off mic that well or off off recording that uh you know you love the kind of the engineering aspect of making the show and editing and stuff and i got to say like one of the things i really love about this show over other kind of podcasts about music that i sometimes listen to is the attention to detail with all you know all the great music and uh it's such a nice listening experience as a musician myself if i'm listening to a podcast i want it to to be fun to listen to and just the whole experience that you've made of of listening to this podcast above the brilliant content uh is a big part of what i love about it so um so yeah but i i've been listening to the podcast for ages so i'm really uh happy to be coming on and, and actually you mentioned my new album uh it was a really great resource for me when i was making the album because uh as you say the album is an homage to Brian Wilson. It's, it's about his life story. It's kind of like a concept record about Brian Wilson, really. And uh, the sound of the record is is very Beach Boysy or attempted. So, 
Uh, and when I was trying to figure out all the sounds and stuff, you know, listening to your podcast and all the deep dives into all the all the tracks was a was a huge help. And also, you put me onto the uh, the Beach Boys Discord, where I I met a lot of people who gave me a lot more help. And so um, so thank you for that too. Sure, absolutely. I can't take too much credit for for that, but um, shout out to the Beach Boys Discord. Those guys are cool and. Um, Man, it means a lot to hear you say that. I appreciate it. Um, all the kind words. Your background is more in like composing, and I've listened to some of your older stuff, and um, it definitely there's 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 hints of of Beach Boys influence, but you you definitely went full in um, into the deep end with this new record. It's funny that you say I have a background in in composing because. Uh, when I talk to people as a composer, they normally say, oh, you have a background in pop music. Because before I was a composer, <laughs> uh, I was a, 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 you know, a musical artist. Um, I play in a band called Summer Camp with uh, Elizabeth Sankey, is my partner in Summer Camp. She's also my wife, and we have a kid together. Uh, and actually, we, we just wound up that project. In fact, literally last week, we had our, our last ever show in London. Uh, so my background is kind of pop music and indie rock, indie pop, whatever you want to call it. And uh, then I've been doing music for film, TV and video games and podcasts and all that kind of stuff more recently. But still, you know, writing songs, putting out albums. And um, yeah, my this new project, uh, yeah, I've always loved the Beach Boys and I decided it was time to go all in. Yeah, well, you reached out to me a while back and um, it's funny, You there's a lot of mutual connections on this record. Um well, you probably don't remember. I actually emailed you way, way back. This must have been like 2020 or something. I do. Asking you how you got the theremin sound in yeah. your uh, in your <laughs> Ceylon band yeah. <laughs> promo video because I needed a good theremin sound for. Uh, I guess it's actually an electro theremin if we're going to be super precise. But I ended up um, solving that one by actually uh, reaching out to Probin Gregory and asking him mm-hmm. to to play on the record, which he does. So that was neat. That's cool. But yeah, we, yeah. I, we, I'm sure we have a lot of a lot of other connections that I probably don't even realize. Well, I know um, that our own uh, John Brody plays on your new record, correct? Plays some That's percussion. Right. Yeah. Yeah, he plays bongos on on the kind of Wild Honey esque track on the record. Yeah. Also, Brian Wilson, band member Paul von Mertens makes an appearance or two. Yeah. Um, local Nashville musician and friend of mine, Kristen Weber, is on the record yeah, playing I violin. Just, yeah, that was really funny. I just needed a violinist for um, one of the tracks, uh, kind of appropriately, actually. It's kind of the 2020 Friends kind of era track where mm-hmm. I was talking about Brian's life in that period. And I ne- needed some strings. And uh, I just went on a online marketplace for musicians and, and found Kristen and then when I looked at her website like after she'd recorded I was like looking at her website for some reason and I saw that she had played on the the uh, <laughs> the remake of add some music to your day that they put out during the pandemic yeah uh, and yeah she's she's based in Nashville and she knows you guys right we've we've crossed paths a few times we have some mutual friends and I, I was in a session one time that she was playing on um and I actually saw her a few weeks ago um, in a, she plays um, and sings in a 90s tribute band. And they're really Amazing. good. They're called My So-Called Band. And they're oh, fantastic. Killer. And they play um, only a few times a year 
And whenever they do, it's like a really big event here and it, it sells out usually. Um, it's a really fun time. They play for like two or three hours and it's just all like nineties hits and it's, it's, uh, it's really exciting. And, and she sings in that group as well. And it's a lot of fun. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not surprised. Great string player. Uh, the, the lines she played for me sounded, you know, just right. She got the whole tone, the whole, the whole thing straight away. So, yeah. So we'll, um, come back to the record here in a bit, but how did you originally discover the beach boys? How did you get into the world of, of Brian Wilson? Well, uh, my first Beach Boys, probably like a, a lot of people my age, was actually Kokobo. Yeah. Uh, which I still have a soft spot for. Not much Brian on that track, of course. Uh, you know, that was when I was a little kid. Uh, and we had the cocktail soundtrack on cassette in the car on long car journeys. It's a great mm. tune. Nice. Uh, but no, later on, when I, when I was kind of getting into, you know, cool music as a teenage nerd trying to figure out stuff, uh, and it, all the best of lists would always have Beach Boys, Pet Sounds is the best album ever made, says The Enemy and says all the uh, all the, all the the British music mags always always used to say it was the best album. So I, I went and got it and I didn't really get it actually the first time I heard it. I was like, I remember listening to Wouldn't It Be Nice and thinking it, it just kind of sounded out of tune the first time I heard it. I was like, what? it's so weird. Why do people like this? <laughs> it's one of those things, you know, it just burrows its way into your brain. You listen to it a couple of times and before you know it, you're like, just trying to understand it, listening to it over and over again and just got super into it. And then I think someone knew I was into it and they got me, first someone got me the stereo version, which is like, oh, wow, you can hear all this extra detail and stuff. And then someone else got me the box set. Do you remember in the 90s they did a box set that had like all the acapellas and all the studio sessions? Mm, and yeah. as someone who was trying to kind of teach myself production at the time, those studio sessions were like, you know, you can hear on Good Vibrations, you can hear Brian saying, oh, pull out another stop on the organ and suddenly the, the Good Vibrations organ sound is just there. It's just like, you know, for someone trying to learn production, it's just it's just magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I honestly think that that's a big part of why I got into the Beach Boys was like the fact that there is so much kind of stuff available for you to really dig in and, and learn how they how they made it um like stacker tracks which i know you you talked about earlier with uh, yeah. with freddie i mean the fact that we have all these instrumentals and, and can listen to them and and get all that amazing detail i i just as, as a musician myself is is priceless um but yeah from pet sounds obviously i was you know reading about this lost album smile and that was you know were we ever going to hear smile and i was like well there's a smiley smile thing i'll get that that'll be the same and i was like what is this i don't understand (laughs) what is this what am i listening to you know 10 listens lady like this is amazing why doesn't everyone know about this and then uh brian wilson presents smile came out around then as well i just you know slowly got every beach boys album um and, and then i kind of had them on the back burner for a little while. I kind of didn't listen to them too much for a few years. I, I had my own career in music, um, which uh, was great. I feel very fortunate to have have you know made made a living out of music my in my in my life. I feel really lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, then what brought me back to the Beach Boys was I got into reading you know biographies of musicians and. I remember I was reading a New Order biography. I was reading a book about, um, you know, that band New Order, Joy Division. Yeah, of course. Uh, I was re- so there's three of the there's three of the guys from the band left um, alive, and they've all written books about what it was like to be in the band. So I was like, mm. well, I'll read all three and see. Uh, you know, and it's funny because like one person's experience of an event 
you see it and then you see the same event from another person's perspective in another book. And I thought, oh, Brian Wilson and Mike Love, they've both got books out. I'll read both of those. And so I read both, you know, Brian Wilson and Mike Love's book. They talk about the same stuff, but just from like a different perspective. It's like, um, I don't know. It's I find that really interesting. Uh, but then I just got super dragged back into the the Beach Boys wormhole. And I, re I read every book. I went back and listened to a couple of albums I'd somehow missed. Like uh, I'd never listened to MIU. Can you believe it? Oh. Sacrilege. Uh, I, now I love it, of course. <laughs> oh, wow. Good. Uh, and, um, and, then, and then I I was saying to my wife, oh, I, for my next album, I want to do something kind of sounds like Pet Sounds because I don't think there's enough influence from Pet Sounds. I... Uh, uh, which sounds ludicrous because it's one of the most influential albums ever. But I think the kind of the idea of being serious about your feelings and making songs that are kind of serious pop music, that's how it's been influential. But I feel like the music of Pet Sounds has not really made its way into into like indie music, for want of yeah. a better word. Like there's, there's no bands that exist that are ripping off Pet Sounds. Maybe that's a ludicrous statement and you're going to get loads of angry emails, um, which you can forward on to me and I'll be very glad to receive them. But I was like, uh, I want to make a kind of Pet Sounds influenced album, but what justification could I possibly have? And my poor wife, who'd been, um, you know, bombarded with Brian Wilson facts every every day at, every day at breakfast for the last, for the previous like nine months, was like, why don't you, like Brian Wilson has an amazing life story. Why don't you write an album about him? Uh, and I was like, yeah, that sounds like a, a great plan. Thanks. I'll do that. And uh, and here we are. That I've sorry. You asked me a question. I've actually gone and just told you my entire life story, which isn't what you asked no, it's, for. But, uh, it's all good, man. Here we, here we are. I don't know. It's always fascinating to me. And, and there's so many people that kind of you know in in our age group that got into them via Kokomo. It's it's fascinating because you know that was kind of it for the the late '80s. It was like that was the Beach Boys for a lot of people. Um, yeah. It's but yeah, that box set that came out for Pet Sounds was life changing for me as well. I, I I remember listening to that and just being blown away about the the vocals only CD and the uh, the sessions and all that. And I just listened to that over and over again. I was just so fascinated. And yeah, I was pretty young, and I didn't you know ever think that I'd be in um, music production or anything like that. I just wanted to play like punk rock music back then, and um, it was it was really a, a life changing uh, piece of media for me. Just really yeah, blew my mind, same, and I same. think I think I hear that I hear about it a lot from people that are, you know, that were young when that came out, um, and that was really cool. So, yeah, it's just cool hearing those stories and the similarities and stuff. Um, but yeah, so the your your record it's it's interesting because like you sent it to me a while back. And it sounds, it's not just like a, a pop record that's like an homage to, to the Beach Boys. It literally is just like telling the story and talking about the perspectives of, of these characters. And it's like a narrative. And um, I thought that was fascinating and pretty bold to do. Because if you're not into the Beach Boys, then this record <laughs> might not be for you, you know, because it's like pretty much just yeah. like, here you go. Like this is, it's a real love letter to the Beach Boys and, and, yeah. and also just, you know, something that, that Beach Boys fans will really, I think will appreciate and have a lot of fun listening to. Um, I hope so. Because I really have. And you kind of dig, dig into a lot of different styles, a lot of great harmonies and, and arrangements and um, I've been really enjoying it is there uh, a track that you'd like to 
play for our listeners right now, maybe? Yeah, well, so I guess the, the conceit of the record is that as it passes through time telling Brian's story, uh, mm-hmm. it like apes his different musical styles. So like the first mm-hmm. song is kind of a, you know, um, surf rock ballad a la Surfer Girl or... Um, it reminds that, me a little bit kind of, of like girls on the beach or you know yeah there's a lot of girls on girls on the beach i had to be did my best not to like you know slip into direct pastiche and hopefully (laughs) the lyrics make it not too much like that but definitely you could you could say that for sure Uh, and as as you go through the record then it kind of gets into a more sort of lush orchestrated thing more of a pet sounds thing more of a smile thing and then in in the back half of the record i mean I, i guess since we're talking about 2020 today why don't we play the track that's kind of inspired by that era, which is a song called um, uh, a song called "A Day in the Life of Brian," uh, which features Kristen, as mm-hmm. you said, on uh, on violin. Yeah, um, and it's it's kind of um, it's kind of my attempt at a sort of Friends twenty twenty era Beach Boys track, but the, the lyrics are about um, kind of some of the saddest times. Well, when when things started to go wrong for Brian, I guess in terms of his mental health and. Um, and that and that side of things, uh, and obviously the the title is a reference to uh, uh, "Day in the Life of a Tree," obviously, um, yeah. which is one of my favorite Beach Boys tracks. I was thinking about that one. Uh, I was I'm glad you picked it because it does. We've been talking about the waltz time a little bit lately. Mm. Brian got really into it in '68, <laughs> so mm. um, so here it is off of American Daydream, a day in the life of Brian. Living in a sandpit, working. Get out. 
All right, that was A Day in the Life of Brian off of Jeremy's new record, American Daydream. Great track. Really enjoyed that one, and I'm glad that you wanted to play it for our listeners. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I, I want to give a quick thank you to um, Pete Fraser, who played clarinet on that track, as well as Christian, who played violin. And i got to say a big thank you to John and Will, um, who were in, in hashtag beach science on the Beach Boys Discord. Anytime I had a question... <laughs> about like you know what an instrument was or like how they got a sound like or what a certain sound was they would always answer and tell me so thank you to you guys and also to i don't know if you've ever talked about jocelyn hoisington's work mm-hmm. on the podcast yeah. i'm sure it's coming oh man before, we love her but yeah her videos on youtube if you're a musician and you're a beach boys fan you got to check them out i mean uh those she does these deep dive reconstructions of 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 beach boys um instrumentals and oh they're just fabulous they're just absolutely amazing jocelyn come on the show That'd be great. I need I need all your expertise and your amazing musicianship. That would be killer. Yeah, love it. Big shout out to the Beach Boys Discord. It's kind of like the Beach Boys Discord has given me so much because um, that's how I met John and Will, and um, I'm pretty sure that the podcast would not still be going without the Beach Boys Discord. So shout out to the Beach Boys Discord for giving me new life. Um, and it's it's a cool kind of new generation of Beach Boys fans that I did not really know existed until I found that place. Um, it's a scary place sometimes, and whenever I get in the Beach Boys Discord and, and seeing what's new, I don't know, it feels like I'm like a, a teacher like snooping around like the cool kids table at the lunchroom <laughs> or something like that. I just don't feel like I really belong, but I really love those guys. Shout out to everybody. I can never figure out who's who because everybody changes their names constantly and... <laughs> Unless you see, unless you like memorize everyone's avatar, you're just gonna be if you, lost. If you, le- if you leave it for a week, if you, if you like go, if you go like, if you have to go away for a week, you come back, it's just completely incomprehensible. But uh, <laughs> whenever I spend any time there, it makes me very happy. Anytime any but we, big release, we have our own Discord. If anybody yeah, wants man, to to jump good. into a little less stuff. confusing, more um, user friendly, hopefully less. Um, well, it still gets pretty nerdy, but um, there's a link to our own Discord in the show notes and um jeremy's in there so come say what's up if you want to ask any questions or uh any of that hate mail that you wanted to send to me you can just go straight to the (laughs) discord and and tag jeremy in there um but yeah we've been talking about 1968 and um it's not been the best of years for the beach boys but they made some cool music and getting into um, the later half and the 2020 sessions, which we're going to be talking about next. I think there's some great music coming up. And um, obviously you're a fan of, of, of that era as well. And 2020 is kind of an interesting project. It's kind of a lot of leftovers here and there mm. that the band was, was working with. Um, not a ton of involvement from Brian, but there's some really cool gems on there and some songs that didn't make the record. <clears throat> like We're Together Again and and the uh the continuing saga of Can't Wait Too Long or or Been So Long, whatever the heck it's called. Yeah. Um but uh do you have any favorite tracks on that in that era or from those sessions or um what do you what do you come back to on the twenty twenty record? Oh, what a good question. It's such a funny record. It's so bitty. Mm-hmm. And when it came out, people must have not particularly known. If you were a Beach Boys fan and you picked up this new record, you wouldn't have known offhand 
that our prayer and cabin essence were off smile like when i think <laughs> right. of 2020 i don't really think of those tracks as being part of the record because i know them as as smile but i was reading um david leaf's new book and i can't remember what the light i can't remember the quote and maybe i got this wrong but he says like he mentions our prayer in such a way that makes it clear that at the time that he wrote his book in the 70s he didn't know that our prayer was from smile so like even mm-hmm. someone as you know deep in as as David Leaf would have been like oh this this is a cool track here on this tra- on this album 2020 but from us you know our our perspective here it does seem like oh so we got you know a couple of great singles a few covers some leftovers a song written by Charlie Manson yeah you know it's a it's a real it's a real mixed bag i really like cotton fields and yeah. i really like this version of cotton fields especially I love Al's lyrics that he wrote for it, and I love that there's no pedal steel guitar, which kind of ruins the. Uh, it's kind of got a slightly lo-fi vibe. I, I just I love the sound of this of this track. Uh, I enjoy listening to it, and um, I don't think they needed to re-record it, but you know they did, and that's fine. My favorite track is I Went to Sleep, probably. Um, yeah, same. It, it's same. it's just I mean, one of those tracks that I wish was on Friends, you know? Maybe mm. I know I'm going to get killed for this again, but instead of Transcendental Meditation, I wish we could have ended the record with I Went to Sleep. It would have been just an absolute... It would have been a great way to tie the record together, but hey, you know, that's just me. If you want to, if you want to hear my uh, alternate version of Friends, it's over on the Patreon page. So everybody uh, can head over there, um, but you know, it's a it's. I a, kind of I see that track as being there's like a series. There's like um, I'd love just once to see you, and then busy doing nothing, and then I went to sleep. For some reason, those those three tracks always kind of go go together in my head. That kind of like nonchalant style that he had of just throwing out these weird little gems. Yeah, that's a those are a lot of fun and. Um, you know, you could, I guess you could go all the way up into Love You and exactly, a few of those yeah, tracks, exactly. you know. One um, of my favorite records, so. Oh, sure. nice. Yeah. I remember you you um, you sent me your your, your favorite Beach Boys records. Um, <laughs> you didn't ask me to. I was just like, he'll he'll be, he'll, finally someone I can send my favorite Beach Boys records to could appreciate it, you know. <laughs> You're like, no one will listen to me. So here here's, you know. <laughs> no, it's, uh, and it's a. It's an interesting list, and I wasn't going to bring it up necessarily, but it's um, the fact that you you kind of had an addendum that you're, you said Pacific Ocean Blue would go in the number four spot, 
um, if it <laughs> Did counted, I say that? which is pretty amazing. <laughs> That's great. I mean, we haven't talked a lot about that record. Uh, you know, I'm looking forward. To, I hope you're going to cover it. Yeah, I think "Love You" "Love You" is now above Pacific Ocean Blue for me. So that's changed. Uh, you know, it's the, I, something I, I always think about with this record is how do you think Dennis felt when Mike and Brian were like, um, you know that song you wrote called All I Want To Do? Well, we've written a song called All I Want To Do. Mm-hmm. Like, did they, did they ever have a conversation about that? That seems so bananas to me that a band would have two songs with literally the same title, yeah. two albums apart, and yeah. and there's no other link between them. No, it's do confusing. Think they just forgot? It's it's really it's like it's because so they happened pretty odd. close together too. You yeah, know? there's even an early version of it in the 2020 sessions album. Yeah, with sitar. I think they just probably just overlooked it. Maybe they weren't thinking about it. But Do you know what I really love of this is the Will C remix of Walk On By mm, that you used yeah. to use as bumper music. That's killer. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's great. I'd rather listen to the remix than the original track. That's, I'm going to come out and say that. That's my nice controversial statement of the day. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Will C. The dude is yeah, awesome. Man. What a hero. Yeah, so... Next time on the pod, we're going to get nerdy on the uh, 2020 sessions and um, talk a little, do it again as well. Um, but thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for being patient while we work through a bunch of various guests and, and interviews and things. And I'm glad we could finally get you on the show. And, and thanks for taking the time to do it. Thanks for having me. I really, really appreciate it. I love this show, man. Thank you for thank you for doing the show, Wyatt. You know, there's a lot of us listening out there who really, really love the show, and we really appreciate it. It must be a ton of work for you. That four freshman episode must have been like days of work, so <laughs> weeks probably. So thank you. You know, it was a lot of fun. I love the four freshmen. So thank you for saying that. All right. So, all right. Thanks, man. Take care. <laughs> Big thanks to all my guests today, John, Freddie, and Jeremy. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks to all the patrons for supporting the show. Thanks to Will C. for the awesome music. Big thanks to Matt Thompson for the graphic design. Hit us up in all the familiar places, show notes, etc., etc. We'll see you next time, guys. Sail on, sailors.
I just, yeah, my, basically my, my experience now with the pod is just me saying things and um, Will and John listening and just fuming, <laughs> like bright red, like at my errors. But um, that's why, uh, that's why I have them. 